0: essentially that cartographic aspect of gis i loved doing that in school you know the data management the data filtering the the research the attribute editing i mean that's that's great but it was that map output the cartographic output that really stood out to me and
1: welcome to another episode of the mapscaping podcast my name is daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community my guest on the show today is Adam Black. He's working full time as a GIS technician, and th- this is one of the episodes in a series of episodes. So this episode is focusing on students and early stage professionals. And what I'm really wanting to do here is highlight the future of geospatial. So oftentimes we talk about the future of geospatial, and these episodes and these interviews, I really want to be, I want you to understand that we're talking with the future of geospatial. So these are the people that that are going to continue the work. These are the people that are going to look at the tools, look at the opportunities and put them together in ways that we cannot, can never imagine. And I hope that by sharing their stories, that it'll answer questions that you might have. It might give you some insight into how they cope with certain challenges, where they think that the future is for them, perhaps how they got that first job. And if you've been in the industry a little bit longer, I hope this episode will remind you of what it was like when you were first starting out. Maybe remind you of that one person that really helped you out, that made a huge difference in your career, and perhaps inspire you to be that one person for someone else. Hi Adam, welcome to the podcast. You are just starting out in your geospatial career, and I believe you're, you're actually still at university, so you're still studying at the moment and you're working on the side. Maybe you could just tell us about that side of things. And perhaps start out with how you got involved in, in geospatial and give us an idea of where you are
0: at now. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Happy to be here. I grew up in a family of farmers. There's been a lot of sort of technological innovations, particularly with mapping software for various farming equipment. And I recall back in high school, my dad showed me some of that mapping equipment and sort of the applications using GPS in an agricultural context. And I thought that that was uh, pretty cool. And my high school actually offered a GIS course my senior year, so that was the first time I was exposed to your more traditional GIS software such as ArcMap, and I really enjoyed the whole concept of spatial thinking and learning about different places, and also the technical aspects surrounding GIS, remote sensing, etc. And so I ended up getting my bachelor's in geography. It was a bachelor of arts in geography, and I continued my education and pursued a master's in geographic and cartographic sciences, which is the program I'm currently in. I finished all of my coursework last year, and I'm working on that final deliverable for the program, which is the thesis. And yes, I am also working full-time as a GIS technician under contract with the Washington, D.C. Metro Area Transit Authority, helping them With their spatial data manipulation, management, uh, creation, basically anything that involves spatial data for them, I provide that uh, service to them.
1: I think that's a really interesting position to be in. So, still studying, I I realize you're working on your your thesis now, but working full time as well. How much crossover have you seen in terms of your formal education and and what you're being asked to do at, at your job?
0: Well, I would say, firstly, during my undergrad in particular, ArcMap was sort of the primary focus with my more technical GIS classes. And so for work, I'm definitely pretty much always just using ArcMap at this point. I will say there are some aspects that are, I guess, missing from my education. For example, I don't work on anything involving geo-visualization, any sort of map design, which was a pretty significant component of my GIS courses back in school, which uh, I found interesting. But again, you know, I get to work with spatial data, I get to create spatial data, I think, something that I learned both actually in undergrad and in grad school was the whole concept around geo referencing and digitizing. I do quite a bit of that for work as well. So there's definitely that uh, similarity. But yeah, I would say the biggest thing, really, that's not apparent is that I'm not working on any sort of cartographic product, I would say is like the major difference.
1: If I understood you correctly, your, your master's degree is in geographic science and, and cartographic science. So cartographic science, that sounds like a, you know, a huge part of what's missing at your work. Is there any sort of regrets now when you think about the job that you're doing now and, and perhaps where you have chosen to, to focus in terms of your formal education?
0: I wouldn't say there are any regrets. No, it's um, this current role of mine is my first, full-time GIS-based job in the field. And I'm very grateful for that. I was in the job hunt last year during a rather hectic time, as everyone might know. So I'm very grateful for the position I have. And I know that it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a start. I mean, just how I started learning GIS back in high school, but it was very, you know, basic concepts and solely focused on ArcMap. And then in undergrad, you know, I continued to explore more of the functions of what ArcMap could uh, could bring to the table. But it was a geography degree. So there were other aspects to it. I hadn't quite sort of developed myself as a spatial thinker, as someone who's cognizant of world affairs of various regions. And obviously, as I continued into grad school, I started to expose myself to other GIS software, such as ArcGIS Pro, QGIS. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is the way I look at it with my professional career, it's going to keep developing and I'm going to keep learning. I think I picked a great field for just the process of just always learning. And so I am quite satisfied where I'm at, at this this stage, obviously.
1: And, And honestly, that this makes so much sense, right? That Alone, that recognition that it's a start and that you're grateful to have the start, the opportunity to learn it gives you a massive amount of insight into what's actually happening, what, what the expectations are that when you come out into the workforce and, and that has a huge amount of value in itself. Where do you think you could see your career going then? So you've got this start, you're doing a lot of, it sounds like data manipulation, data management kind of tasks, but you also sound like a person who's, who's got a greater vision or a goal.
0: Yeah, for sure. I would say my goal is to sort of head towards a role that does involve that geo visualization that essentially that cartographic aspect of GIS. I love doing that in school, you know, the data management, the data filtering, the, the research, the attribute editing. I mean, that's, that's great, but it was that map output, the cartographic output that really stood out to me and just being able to either on my own, create the symbology, the layout, the color scheme, et cetera, for it or working in a group even throwing around ideas as to you know what what's the best way to convey this message given this set of criteria or given this audience and as for where my career is heading I would certainly like to be in a position where there is that collaboration but again there's that cartographic aspect to it I would you know I mean I, I'm aware that typically GIS analysts might be in the in the habit of producing maps. But um, I also occasionally will see uh, cartographer positions. They're not as common as your typical tech or analyst or specialist position, but they're certainly out there. And I think that is definitely an area I would like to explore in the years to come.
1: Just out of curiosity, where, where have you seen those those positions or, or where do you see opportunities for, for this kind of work?
0: I definitely see them within federal agencies. I know for a fact that Over here in the States, we have the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They typically look for sort of that cartographer position. I believe certain groups within the Department of the Interior also look for cartographers. They also look for geographers, which is a pretty cool position title, if you ask me. But I do know that even in the private sector, companies such as Lidos will also look for a cartographer role. But like I said, I mean, it's also in the description. Sometimes GIS analysts will also focus on that sort of cartographic aspect. It's not so much data creation, but taking data that's already been created and then trying to convey that via some form of uh, geo visualization. Obviously, there's no universal definition to what position like a GIS analyst does, but I have noticed that in the descriptions and within private sector and in public, there's definitely that aspect is certainly there for even positions that aren't strictly cartography.
1: Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Do you also notice in those descriptions that people are looking for specific tools? Like I think you named ArcGIS before, uh, QGIS. I know from um, the voicemail that you sent me that this is something that you also have some experience with. Or are they looking for completely different tools, perhaps something in the Adobe suite when we talk about cartography, data visualization?
0: Well, I'm actually seeing quite a bit of that. Yeah, I would say the most common GIS software is still within that ArcGIS environment. So typically, I'm I'm see- I'm still seeing a lot of ArcMap, but just how my own uh, university, George Mason University, was moving towards sort of implementing ArcGIS Pro into its curriculum. I am starting to see more and more companies sort of migrate towards that. But you mentioned. Adobe Suite. Yes, I also do see people looking for Okay, so you can put data on a map, but you know, how can you edit the symbology and the color scheme and the layout in the best way possible? Well, one of the one of the helpful software for that is software like Adobe Illustrator, which yes, I do have experience with that as well. I don't see that sort of coupling of GIS software and sort of more graphic design software often. But yes, I certainly do see that occasionally. And really, it's just, you know, software like Adobe is just meant to sort of enhance uh, the overall representation of the data you're presenting. And I know that certain companies and roles would definitely want to focus on that for sure.
1: I'd really like to talk a little bit about how you got the, this job, because you got a job in a time where it was really difficult to get a job. At least I would imagine it was incredibly hard to find a new job during the, the last year. What is it? Do you think that that helped you out? Was it did you was your CV just amazing? Did you have a portfolio? Did you have a personal connection to this, the company or the people that were hiring? Was there any one thing that you can point at and say it it was that thing that that gave me the edge?
0: So it was a personal connection to the company. I was actually an intern with them the year before. I was a GIS intern helping them out with a project for uh, the Federal Railroad Administration, and I did have to. Leave the internship because I needed to focus on my schoolwork and potentially trying to get my thesis topic going. And so I did have to leave for a little while. But um, I told my manager, you know, if y'all are hiring or open to um, having someone come work full time with you, I'm definitely open to that. And several months later, this was towards the end of 2020, my then former manager did reach out to me and said, hey, we have this uh, position opening. What do you think, pretty much? And I I still had to submit my resume, obviously, but um, it was a pretty straightforward process. And I think, Daniel, what that sort of showcases is that even when you're still in school as an undergrad or you, you don't have a relevant degree in geography, sort of trying to go for those internship positions, I think, is a really good way of establishing that personal connection with different companies. Absolutely, because you build that relationship with the manager, with the other folks on the team, and it's also a great way to sort of get it, get, just sort of just get a taste of a working environment in general. Now, granted, it was a very different working environment back then because I was in that sort of typical office environment. Well, when I started working as a GIS tech with them, well, that you know that was very different. Everything was remote, but you know it still offered that insight nonetheless, and so. It just goes to show that even if you don't have your degree yet or you've just received your degree, perhaps nailing an internship will definitely put you in an even better place somewhere down the line.
1: What would you say to people that couldn't get an internship? So is there anything else that we could do that would help sort of build that personal connection, but without doing some sort of official internship? My understanding is that internships are really difficult to to get, especially if you're living in, in the U.S. It might be different in other countries. But yeah, I'm wondering if you have any advice for people that are in that position where they would really like to put some of these skills they have in practice and have something where they can demonstrate their ability, but are perhaps unable to, to secure an, an internship.
0: That's a great question. Yes, a couple of years ago, I was certainly in that position where I was uh, sort of desperately hunting for uh, internship roles. So I definitely understand the uh, frustration surrounding that. And I don't mean to scare anybody when I talk about the internship. And this goes for the job hunt too, as well. But with the internship hunt, you do have this unique challenge, right? Where you are trying to fill in this lack of experience for yourself in the field. But sometimes internships are, they ask for experience. And so you're kind of trapped in this void of, okay, how do I get experience? Well, I think one way to sort of stand out Potentially, to recruiters, is to, as you're taking your GIS classes, as you are creating these map products, as you're learning the software, try and develop some sort of portfolio with that. If you know how to collect spatial data from an online data portal, if you know how to filter through it, manage it, and then ultimately create a map out of it, then share that. If you learn some remote sensing software, you want to show some sort of algorithmic process that classifies certain vegetation types, show that and uh, describe it in a portfolio. The classes are there to help you learn, and then also taking what you learn from that curriculum and applying it as well. You can sort of pursue your own GIS project that you didn't work on in class, or you could take what you did learn in class, what you did create in class, and maybe ask the professor, hey, can you give me some feedback on this, uh, this project? I'm sure they will. And then you can enhance it a little bit because sometimes you're on a tight deadline and maybe you got an A on an assignment still, but it's not, maybe it doesn't still hold up to your standards, which is fine because then you can learn from where, whatever project it was, where it was lacking, and then you can improve upon it. But like I said, you can take what you learn about the software and it can be anything from GIS software, remote sensing software, if you learn a programming language. And pursue your own project, something that interests you, and add that to your portfolio. I think another way to sort of try and stand out from the crowd is trying to network more. And obviously, right now, that might seem a little difficult, but I guess paradoxically, it's also easier to network now with all of these various uh, meetups and groups and conferences being virtual. For example, I mean, last summer before i started working i attended esri's user conference which is typically all the way in california which so i would probably my chances of actually attending that event were probably slim if it was in person but however of course it was all virtual and i was able to attend i was able to network and i was able to make some pretty awesome connections that way so it's pretty much a simple process of sort of looking around seeing okay are these people used to meet in person? Well, are they actually meeting virtual? And if they are, great, I should probably hop in and see what that's, uh, what that's all about.
1: Can I just ask you a question about that? Because I think attending online events, being present on social media, LinkedIn, whatever, I think that's one thing. But I think making a meaningful connection with the other people that are also there, that, that's something completely different. Could you tell me how you made these connections at that online Israel event that you attended?
0: Right. So the way how that specific event was structured was if you search through the catalog of all the attendees, you could ask them to schedule an appointment with you. I I think it was, I think the timing was typically capped at 30 minutes or so. And you could schedule a one-on-one conversation with them. And obviously, if the conversation went well, then you could uh, share your LinkedIn information. And then you could continue that conversation, just because it said that they were 30 minutes each, or something, you know, you could still stay as long as you needed to as long as the conversation called for it. But you could also take that conversation elsewhere via LinkedIn, you could see and engage with them sort of what they're doing. Obviously, with LinkedIn, you see all everybody's posts, what they're working on, where they're at academically, professionally, and you can still engage with those people. So yes it certainly is a little difficult to make that first impression virtually and it might be something that just kind of takes time but if the conversation is a productive one if you really find that i mean in my case i i talked to a lot of other students in particular who some were still in their undergrad some had just graduated some were also grad students and i learned a lot of insight from them just by talking about okay how's the job hunt going well not great, but here's what seems to be working for me. And sort of that, you know, it is a process of knowing, you know, okay, what should I ask people? What should I talk about with them? But again, you will have the time to sort of make those connections stronger, sort of build more bridges with them, even at, long after the event has ended.
1: I think that's a really important insight there that, I mean, also connections with people in a similar situation to you, that, that's also valuable because you can ask them questions like, well, what are you doing? How's it going for you? and And gather insight that way. I think a lot of people, when they think about making connections, they think about perhaps looking at people who are in a position where they want to be as opposed to looking for people that are in the same position as them. and I, I want to follow up with another question and, and that is, were you nervous about reaching out to these people? Were you nervous about making an appointment with them, having a half hour conversation with a complete stranger?
0: Oh, absolutely <laughs> i'm a I'm, I will admit i'm a very I'm a rather introverted person and You know, reaching out to people online, it's a daunting task for sure. And, you know, I think back to that Esri event, I would read their bios and be like, okay, this person seems, seems, seems neat. Let's, uh, let's try and have a conversation. You know, they, they know how to use this, this, this software. Oh, I know how to use that software. Okay. So let's, I sort of kept that in mind how, okay, we're all sort of in the same field. We specialize maybe in different aspects of said field, but that's okay. It will certainly Contribute more towards the conversation if we sort of find the similarities and differences and build upon those. And not even just from the Esri event, but just attending virtual meetups. Uh, a great one that I've been attending every month now, pretty much since I started working actually, is uh, GeoDC. It's a Washington, D.C. based meetup group. That also makes me pretty nervous uh, reaching out to those folks as well. That structured. In a way that, you know, they have it's all via Zoom and they have breakout rooms. We go to each room and you meet maybe like three or four other people. And that can be a little tense. That can be, yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of anxiety with meeting these strangers on the internet. But again, we're all just trying to network and establish those connections and just keep developing ourselves professionally and learning from each other. And something that I've learned, I would say, within. I would say within the last year or so, I, I wasn't as willing beforehand to network. But once I finished my classes, and I started sort of jumping into it, I, I understand why people whenever they say, if you're having trouble finding a job, network, 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 I definitely understand the, the benefits of getting to know folks in your own field.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a, a really fuzzy concept to, to comprehend when you're, when you're still a student, because your network is all there, right? You, you go to You go to university, there is my network. And this idea that you can have a a very, very distributed network with people that aren't having the same shared experience that you're having at university, it takes a while to understand. I think perhaps too, that anxiety around reaching out to people that are in a completely different stage in their career, I think that could provoke this imposter syndrome in a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. Imposter syndrome is uh, is a very real thing, especially for uh, people who are still in school or young professionals.
1: I want to sort of get back to the the overlap between being in school and, and being a professional and, and you're right in the middle of it at the moment, writing your thesis and also working full time. Now that you've got this insight into the working world, what do you think the key skills for you are going to be going forward?
0: I would say probably one of the core skills that I have recently acquired, but also still trying to improve upon, obviously, is just the ability to adapt. I think both my undergraduate tenure, as well as what I've learned in my graduate school experience, has taught me how to adapt to different circumstances, software, and other sorts of methods. It's obviously with the circumstances point. Well, the <laughs> the whole uh, working from home ordeal. It's it's got its pros, obviously, but you know the cons are still there too. Communication can be a little difficult and that's a point i'm going to get to later but i do believe that you know learning ArcMap allowed me to ultimately learn arcgis pro which allowed me to learn qgis and it all just sort of particularly with qgis and arcgis you know they are very distinct gis software but you sort of take what you learned in class and as i mentioned earlier with building up your portfolio you can apply what your professor taught you what you learned from the curriculum towards a, a project of interest. Well, why don't you pursue that project, but instead of using something that's purely ESRI-based, try and see if you can handle QGIS and do the same sort of procedure. Sort of that ability to adapt to different sorts of software, I think is an, is an incredible skill that any geospatial GIS user should have because obviously the industry as a whole is changing. as It's evolving. Like I said earlier, people are making this gradual migration to ArcGIS Pro, but even certain places, primarily in the private sector, there, there is this push for open source software such as QGIS. And I'm, I definitely see that with what people are looking for. And so having the ability to adapt your the software skills, I think, is a huge bonus to have as, a, as both a GIS user and as a job hunter. I think a second important skill would definitely be, and I touched on this earlier, communication. And that's one. That one's a little. It could be a little more difficult for folks because you know, in, when you're in school, you're learning the technical skills. Okay, you, you can you can apply those technical skills to a project, but the communication aspect, at least in my experience with my program, you know that that's that is something you sort of have to build through again, networking, establishing those connections. Even uh, interviewing, I think, can also contribute towards one's ability to communicate effectively. An interviewer will ask you, hey, you mentioned on your resume that you have this skill. Can you tell us a time where you use said skill? Oh, well, here you go. I used this GIS software to perform this task because I wanted to know this, and here was the result. That is, I think, also a huge, a huge benefit for being able to communicate one's ideas And their thoughts which can be very helpful in a team-oriented setting which i'm sure is why recruiters or or hiring managers will look for that skill because you as i have found out these last several months you, you know more than likely you're going to be working in a team you will be collaborating with others and you're going to need to convey your ideas clearly and effectively if you have some sort of uh technical issue or you don't understand something you're going to need to communicate that with your manager or whoever you're trying to assist, as well as perhaps being able to communicate any concerns or shortcomings with a client. And so I think adaptability and communication, while they're not strictly technical skills that a GIS user can have in their toolkit, I think those are very important for the job hunt itself. But as well as when you actually start your career, you start your first role, and some might not be able to quite improve on those skills just yet, maybe if they're still in school. But again, that's why, that's why I think uh, I think networking and going to these well, right for right now, these virtual events can really help with that, and at least with the communication aspect. And then going back to adaptability, well, take what you learn in class and apply it with some other software or approach in general.
1: Yeah, I'd really like to second your thoughts on communication there. Absolutely. I think that there's very few people that are working in in a vacuum. So we need to be able to communicate ideas, tell other people where we're at, take in inputs and provide outputs to other people in such a way that they can understand how these outputs were created and what perhaps they might want to do with them. And I think that's super important. I just want to go back to your thoughts around adaptability for a second. How much do you think your willingness to be adaptable is driven by curiosity? And how much do you think is is driven by fear, by the need to constantly be evolving because perhaps you're afraid of being left behind?
0: That's a great question, actually. It's I do know that sometimes the push to for example, when I was sort of pushed to learn ArcGIS Pro, you know, academically speaking, I had no experience with ArcGIS Pro. My geography department at Mason. Had not quite made that transition yet, but I was starting to see that on various job postings in their descriptions. Now I don't know if it was exactly a fear, but I think it was something that just felt necessary. I think certainly where the industry is going, ArcGIS Pro is gaining more and more popularity, and the same regards regarding a QGIS. I don't see that one a whole whole lot. But see now that one I think was more of a curiosity, at least on my on my part, because I was curious to see. Okay, I've used you know subscription based GIS software before. Now what does this open source? What's what's that all about? That I think was more of a curiosity. But obviously I was still seeing that occasionally within job postings. I would say that you know the fine line between curiosity and fear. There's well, I feel like there's a lot of overlap. As a student, you're exposed to a certain kind of Of software, but you might have the curiosity of exploring okay, where else could this go? Where else could this be explored? What sorts of functions or methods can I use with this? But I do think the fear aspect does come into play, certainly when you're maybe looking around for internships or jobs. I will say, I think it definitely gives one incentive for pursuing those sorts of other applications and being able to adapt. I know from my personal experience, yes, as I mentioned with ArcGIS Pro, I was thinking to myself, okay, I think just thinking for future endeavors here, it would be in my best interest to learn ArcGIS Pro. But I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing that there was this sort of fear or anxiety that kind of pushed me to that point. The job hunt process, I think, is what is what sort of pushed me because I don't, I don't think if I Had that experience, I don't know if I would have taught myself ArcGIS Pro, if that makes sense.
1: It really makes sense. And I appreciate you for taking the time just to to walk us through your thought process there. That that was great. So this is going to be a, a relatively broad question, and it might be a little bit tricky to answer, but I'm going to try anyway. Do you see GIS, what you're doing today, as being the future? Would you like to continue doing pure GIS work, cartography work, forever? you know, into the foreseeable future, or or do you see it as a stepping stone to somewhere else?
0: Good question. I would say I would be perfectly satisfied if GIS or primarily uh, cartographic work is, is what my career has in store. As I mentioned earlier, I really enjoy the sort of emphasis on always learning, sort of always adapting. As we've discussed, it is a changing, evolving field. I think with all the innovations in GIS software and all the different applications of where said software can be applied, I mentioned at the beginning of this, my introduction to GIS was purely agricultural. Well, then I explored GIS from that high school class of mine. I learned a lot about how it's used for uh, prime data. And then, well, when I got into undergrad, I was using GIS in research towards environmental applications. All of these different sort of applications of where GIS can be applied, how spatial data can be utilized for various peoples and entities, honestly, it interests me greatly. And if you were to ask me like Adam, where do you see yourself, what sort of industry or 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 service do you see yourself utilizing your GIS toolkit? If you had asked me that a year ago, I would not have guessed that I would be working in public transit. But here I am working in public transit, and I think that sort of mystery of where GIS can take me in terms of what industry or what service or just or in general what application I think is is honestly quite exciting. And seeing how GIS software in general is going to develop, you know what it's going to take to get to point A, point B, point C. It really is exciting to me, and the ability to constantly, even long after I finish my uh, my thesis and I finished school, the fact that I can still keep learning even as an employee or contractor, or even just in my free time with all the various uh, online courses offered by LinkedIn, learning, Esri, or or just YouTube videos. It's a very promising future to me.
1: Adam, I really want to thank you for your time. It's been so refreshing talking to someone like you. I think you have a really positive outlook on your career on the future of geospatial in general. It's actually really nice to talk to someone who sounds like they're, they're in love with cartography. Oftentimes on the podcast, we focus on some sort of technical aspect of, of the geospatial world. And yeah, it's just really nice to, to hear someone who's just really into to making maps. Where can the listeners go if they want to reach out to you and hear more about your story or, or connect with you? Is there anywhere in particular we, we can send them?
0: Yeah, they can connect with me on uh, LinkedIn. My username, I believe, is adamblack98.
1: Great. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks again, Adam. I've really enjoyed talking with you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Daniel.
1: I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Adam Black. I'll put links to Adam's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can connect with him there. I also want to remind you this is a part of a small series of interviews. So if this one resonated with you, you might also be interested in an episode that's called Being a Graduate Geospatial Consultant. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well to make it a little bit easier for you to find. So I just want to take a few seconds here to highlight a particular part of Adam's story. And that part was around, around obscurity. So Adam spent quite a while talking about networking and joining online events and, and creating an online profile. These things might have been helping him learn something new. That might be the case, but it's definitely the case that that was helping with his obscurity problem. I think for the vast majority of us, it's not that we can't do the work. It's that other people don't know that we can do the work. We have an obscurity problem. So all those things I just mentioned were Adam's way of solving his obscurity problem. He was joining online events. He was contributing. He was participating. He was being generous enough to do work in public. And for me... When I think about solving an obscurity problem, I think about how can we do something that is remarkable, do something that's worth making a remark about. So I'd I'd like to use this podcast as an example. So through this podcast, I'm slowly but surely solving my obscurity problem. And the less obscure this podcast becomes, the more I can help other people with their obscurity problem. And it's really interesting being on the other side. So when you're working in public like this, there's a lot of inbound traffic. And a lot of that inbound traffic looks like this. Hey, I'm doing something remarkable. Please pay attention to me. Look over here. I deserve your attention. Me, me, me. These are the voices of people that understand that they have an obscurity problem. And they're trying to solve it by being unremarkable. There is nothing remarkable about asking for something. But what is remarkable is offering something. So again, using this podcast as an example. I don't have a content problem. Again, I have an obscurity problem. So there are unlimited amounts of people out there that could show up in such a way that would bring you value, that had a story to tell, that could teach us something. That is not my problem. My problem is reaching more people. So obscurity. This inbound traffic that I was talking about before, the emails that I see in my in my inbox, that asks, they're all assuming I have a content problem. None of them see that I have an obscurity problem. If they showed up and said, hey, I really like the podcast, how can I help? Here are some suggestions. These are some resources, some assets that I have that I can use to help you solve the problem that you have. That would be remarkable. That would be generous. And and that would definitely get my attention. So let's think of it now in terms of an employer. How many emails asking for something do they get each day? I bet you that number is much greater than the amount of emails they get with someone offering them something. So you might be thinking, well, what can I offer some? what do I have to offer? I'm just starting out. Well, in, in order to answer this question, you've got to think about well, what is the problem that these people have? What do these people need? What is this company, what is this organization looking for? Are they looking for contributions? Are they looking for engagement online? Are they looking for people to help amplify their message? Do they need someone to test their software or perhaps suggest interesting use cases for it? Maybe they're looking for someone who just shows up, takes their data and makes beautiful visualizations based on it, helps them tell stories shows them what's inside their data, other ways of looking at it. I think that the irony here is that all of us expect way more empathy than we are capable of giving. But being able to see people, being empathetic to where they are now and where they're trying to go, that is remarkable. Something worth making a remark about. Something that will get you noticed. Something that might solve your obscurity problem. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. It's much appreciated. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. If email is your thing, send an email to info at I would love to hear from you. I hope you're all having an incredible summer if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope the winter is being kind. I'll see you again next week. Bye.